This episode was recorded on Ngunnawal country. I pay my respects to the traditional custodians who nurtured and cared for this land and to all Aboriginal listeners. This is no small challenge, is it? We're talking about fundamental changes to the way that people perceive the economy and perceive the way that we are meant to live, should live, do live. I think it is how new these ideas are to most people. This doesn't get into the mainstream press ever. Nobody knows about it. You can go a lot of places and learn a lot of things by having a great conversation with really interesting people. Just again and again and again, and it's a bit addictive. I can feel my heart rate rising, just so you know. <laughs> no, look, we're, we're very friendly. We're um, just a conversation. If you're really feeling like you want a break, we'll just play a song. How do we find true meaning and connection in life? I'm on a quest to meet people who have found connection and meaning in their life. People who make time for something that has value and purpose or makes them feel joyful and alive. I'm convinced that through meeting these people, I'll find one thing I can be doing to bring more connection and meaning into my life. So I quit my job, bought a pop-up camping trailer, and I'm heading off on a journey around Australia to see what other people are doing. My name is Kai, and I'm on a journey towards connection. After meeting my first two podcast guests in Sydney, I decided to hit the road towards connection. First stop, Canberra, Australia's capital city, home to dozens of federal buildings, including Parliament House and the High Court. For this reason, it seemed fitting that I meet Scotty, who is planning to create a new economy, one that gives power back to the people. I also joined him on live radio in an attempt to make the world a better place. So, it's my first night away and it's freezing. Yeah, so it's like 6.30 and I'm just getting ready for bed. I only got here at like 4.30. The whole campground was full. There was one spot left that I could fit into and it's not the best spot, but it'll do. It was better than trying to find somewhere else right before dark. So yeah, by the time I set up the camp and I was starving because I hadn't eaten since breakfast, but I ate by the fire, looked up at the stars, which there are heaps and it is beautiful, but then I was just like too cold. Um, So I was like, you know what? It's the first night of... 12 weeks away. I'm sure I'll see many stars. So now I'm sitting in the camper. The kettle's boiling. I'm going to have a cup of herbal tea and I'm going to read the newspaper. Scotty, can you please introduce yourself? Yeah, g'day. Nice to be with you. My name's Scotty Foster. I guess now I call myself a solar-powered, radio-broadcasting, organic-growing, cooperative-creating, earthen-people-protecting lunatic worker from Canberra, Australia. I'm a bloke. I've got shaggy hair and a big beard. Yeah, I've basically got one set of clothes, but about seven of them, so I don't change very much. Can you explain to me what CoCambra is? So CoCambra is short for Co-ops, Commons and Communities Canberra. It's a organisation that's been around since about 2016 and we're trying to actually build a new economy on the ground using uh, design principles and ethics and stuff that are absent from the current economy. 
the current economy is very good at building things and getting them to people, but that's about it. There's no ethics involved. There is one ethic, and that's profit. And it's inherently extractive, so it takes the wealth from other places and brings it into a central repository, and it's been doing that for centuries and centuries. And it's exploitative. It doesn't give people fair returns, particularly for their work, and it doesn't give nature any returns for what it takes out. And how many people are a part of Cocambra? Well, it's not actually an incorporated organisation or anything, so there's no membership list. We've got an email list of probably 400 or something, but we don't see most of those. And what do you think draws them to this? Like, why do you think they have found Cocambra and continue to show up and do work? Well, I guess they're a bit ahead of their time and they've recognised that the, the projects have the potential for a really big impact in the near future if we can get them off the ground and running well. People are figuring out you can do all the things that the traditional environment movement has been doing over the years, like change your light bulbs over to fluoros and then LEDs and get on your bike and ride around instead of taking two tonnes of metal with you. Mm. You can do a few of these things, but at some point you've run out of things to do and you need to get organised with a, a bunch of other people so that you can take it to the next level and that's what Cocambra is trying to do. So really, for Cocambra, we've come up with three pillars which hold it all together. And these are cooperatives, commons and communities. So communities, everything, everything rests on community. Everything we do, even in the bloody most cutthroat corporation, they operate as a community to achieve their horrible things. Community has been eroded significantly, especially where a society's been colonised. We can do everything we need within a community, and we have done for hundreds and millions of years. Is Coke Canberra that community for you? Not yet. We're working on it. Once we get a few of these co-ops up and running in different sectors, that's when it will really start being that community for me. And I plan to try and build a sectoral co-op. And when it's ready and it's up and running, that's good. They keep going. I'm going to start building a different sector. So I'll get a good bit of experience doing this over time. I've got what is it, six years now, and we've got one co-op up and <laughs> another one almost up. Uh, so it's been a long road, but if we don't do it, it won't happen. Can you give us a picture of the economy that you're working towards? What would it look like on a daily basis? How would people's lives change with the new economy? I think the first thing is we would have a lot more time on our hands. Time is critical for democracy. If, if you don't have time to be democratic or even think about anything because you're too buggered and you're just watching TV, then your democracy's going to suffer as a community because of that. What else would it look like? It would look very different in different places. Our vision is for very much a localised future. The local people would own the economy collectively but privately, not as a public thing, as a private thing, through cooperatives and commons and any other way they want. So you wind up paying your bills to yourself. So if all the people in a suburb, say, owned a cooperative, so if you're a member of a cooperative, you're an owner of a cooperative, and you get a say in how it's run. So they own a cooperative for providing electricity and energy, and that cooperative provides the energy for everybody, but the people there get to decide how it's done. So would those people decide that, well, it would be cheaper if we made all this in China, but then I wouldn't have a job. 
so they're not going to do that. And it'd be cheaper if we used all this toxic materials in it, because that's just easy. Ah, but then I'm going to poison my community, so you're not going to do that. So people will be a lot more sensible in their methods. I mean, even if it's a bit more expensive, that's worth it. This is no small challenge, is it? We're talking about fundamental changes to the way that people perceive the economy and perceive the way that we are meant to live, should live, do live. I suppose the the end goal sort of vision could be called a cooperative commonwealth, which is a, a blurry vision from here. But I guess one living example which could sort of come partway towards this is the Mondragon cooperatives over in northern Spain. Since 1956, they've built themselves a big conglomerate of cooperatives, which does just about everything. They've got they've got farms which grow food for themselves and right through to the shopping malls where the food's sold in, that's all owned by the cooperative. They've got preschool, kindergarten, right through year 10, universities, and they've even got their own industrial research organisation like the CSIRO is here to help out research and stuff for their high-tech co-ops. And they make everything from aerospace bits and pieces to cars and all sorts of white goods. And At the moment, we've got a prototype. <laughs> so we have big plans, but at the moment they're almost just plans, not quite. So we've started our first uh, local cooperative and we've got one installation done and it's on somebody else's house who is the customer member. So they're paying bills to the co-op and some of those payments are going back to the prepayments member who put the money up front to buy the, the kilowatt hours that are now being sold. Mm-hmm. And the customer's getting a good 30% off the electricity grid price. So we've got one going and we're working on our communications, basically, so that we can actually convince more people to do it. Tell them you're dreaming. We need more dreamers like you. Tell them you're dreaming. Because dreams lead to things that you do. Make a Can you take me back as far back as, I guess, this way of life or or this this way of thinking and working? Can you take me back to a time before then and how you first discovered it? So I guess the question is, how did you get to be like that? (laughs) I've known since I was a kid that something just wasn't right in the way people were living and behaving and relating to each other. That didn't take form for a long time, you know? Started out, you know, just being a uh, rebellious sort of kid. I got kicked out of my high school in year 10. But that was really good because I went to a school after that called School Without Walls. Mm -hmm. This was a radically democratic school, which was actually run by the students. It was quite small, it's only about 100 people, but that was because the students decided it should be small. Um, (laughs) Is this school still around? No, no. Kate Carnell, the politician, the Liberal politician, closed it because she didn't like the idea of having a democratic school. But this was an amazing experience. So it was run by a general meeting. The general meeting was the authority at the school. There was no principal or anything like that. So every day from 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock, that was scheduled in. There were no other classes in that time slot. The kids would gather in the the general meeting room and people would basically write up on the chalkboard any issues they'd come across and they would just get dealt with. If we ran out of time, you'd either decide to keep going or put it over to the next day's meeting. We dealt with everything, discipline... We could hire and fire teachers. If you wanted to start a new class, you had to bring it to the general meeting who would, as a matter of course, say, well, find yourself five students and a teacher who's free and away you go. (laughs) But yeah, so there was a couple of rules which were enforced by the government because it was a government school. 
things like no drugs on the premises, if you're under 15 you have to sign in and log your hours and little bureaucratic things like that. But the one rule that was set by the school was respect for all. So if someone called you a nasty name or insulted you or did a racist slur or whatever it might have been, you'd go, right, eh? I'm taking you to the meeting. So the grievance would be aired, you know, the, both parties would be in the room along with a whole bunch of other people and there'd be a big conversation about what happened and often there'd be a, quite a lot of learning from the person who'd done the disrespecting about respect. So that was a really interesting experience where all the freaks and weirdos of Canberra got together and ran a school much better than either the government or the private sector could. This is fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it's great. So that was one definitely big form, forming experience for me. Were your parents alternative? Was it radical for them that you were going to a school like this? Oh, look, I'm sure they didn't appreciate my behaviour as a teenager. Um, <laughs> but they were very supportive. They really were, despite my waywardness. <laughs> but the next thing that I ran into, which was another forming experience, was a 10-day permaculture course down at Cow's Nest in the Bega Valley. I'd had this experience where I knew everything was wrong and I'd had the experience of how you could do it right. Mm -hmm. But permaculture started looking at organisation of just about everything from the natural world to societal things to relations between people and everything. It's a very holistic sort of way of looking at things and designing your way out of problems really. So this gave me a tool and a way of thinking and seeing things that built on what I'd got out of the school without walls. And again, you know, that took quite a long time to settle in and fall into pieces in my brain in a way that made sense. But all I want to do is make a deeper connection with some earth Just like I've done in previous episodes, I called on a friend to help me process what I was learning from my chat with Scotty. She has a baby with her, which you might hear in the background too. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Kai. <laughs> Thank you for helping me figure this out. I need you to help me understand what Scotty's trying to achieve. Based on that short clip you listened to, what do you think he's actually trying to achieve? I don't know if I can help you fully because it's really, I've, I also find it really hard when someone says co-op or even off-grid, sometimes I find that really confusing to go, so how will this all work exactly? Because, you know, we're living in a capitalist society and we don't live in lots of co-ops. And I think for me, I get overwhelmed by the amount of change that would be needed, you know? Like, talking about changing the economy is huge. And for me, I just start to get overwhelmed with the, but how and, and how successful could this be and how likely is this and is this a big dream or is this realistic? You've had an experience with one co-op in Sydney. What was your experience of that co-op like? The co-op I joined in Sydney was a food and vegetable sort of place. And, yeah, it was interesting because you got this amazing produce and the people that worked there, you could walk in and feel like, oh, you understand my values. I, I liked feeling at least to be part of a system change in some way. It was selfish in a way. I, I joined almost selfishly to, to align with my values, but to be around and support people who could do things that I just didn't have the time or the inclination or the effort probably to do and so it felt like I was doing something to yeah to align with my values but also it was interesting sort of just watching from the outside because I wasn't heavily involved in voting and things like that I just had a membership and shopped there from time to time 
But then eventually I think it shut down because it was really hard to keep people involved. I think costs went up, rent went up, and the place, I think, fell over. But what they're trying to do is really hard when you're doing it in the midst of systems and processes and other shops Mm -hmm. and other people living around you who are having to live within the system you're sort of going against. But so much more awe-inspiring and important that, that people do do it that way as well. So can you relate to Scotty? I can and I can't relate to Scotty. And this is just being brutally honest with myself. Obviously, I can absolutely relate to his passion to want to change things and doing it through a co-op. I just think that's brilliant. And I I just love his attitude around, we're going to do this. I can very much relate to that. But there's a part of me, maybe the millennial part of me, that feels like, wow, I don't think I'd know enough people with the amount of skills you'd need. <laughs> and this might be a very general statement about millennials. Scotty will need, will need people with... a varied degree of skills and expertise to keep that co-op running Mm. and a lot of like passion because sometimes you probably have to put in a bit of extra effort than you're getting out of it. I work in state government in renewable energy. You think we focus on the bottom line but we definitely focus a lot on whether something is financially viable and so I think that there's a part of me that's sort of now been actually a bit indoctrinated into thinking like is this enough? When I was younger I used to want to be involved in like lots of grassroots things and I very much think grassroots is important but I want change so much that I just feel like it has to come from the top as well and so my brain focuses a lot on the top these days and so there's a part of me that doesn't relate to Scotty in some ways but I very much commend and admire everything it sounds like he's doing. Tell them you're dreaming because dreams lead to things that you do make a whole load of dreams come true. So What's getting in the way of achieving everything that you want to achieve? I think it is how new these ideas are to most people. This doesn't get into the mainstream press ever. Nobody knows about it. Co-ops, while they're a perfectly legitimate and legal business structure, don't get taught about in the law schools or the accounting schools or the business schools. All your professional sector mostly has no idea about it. Does that mean that you think that people just instantly say no to it or they just don't know what it is? I think it's just not knowing what it is and not knowing that there are so many amazing solutions around Canberra even, Australia and the world. If you look around the world, it's just stunning how easily we could switch over to a new economy if people knew about it and supported it particularly supported it by dipping into their wallet, which isn't going to cost you anything. It'll actually save you money. That is where the radio and the podcast are now aimed at. We do a lot of case studies and the the meetups that we have as well, the study group, we record those, put them all on the podcast. We've recorded tonnes and tonnes of stuff from the New Economy Network of Australia. That's all on the podcast, a line in the sound. Yeah, there's hundreds of hours of (laughs) people talking about really cool things on that podcast. So what we're trying to do is address that lack of knowledge. It's not that they're not interested, they just haven't heard about it yet. So particularly in Australia, when we started out that podcast, there was a real lack of knowledge. Now there's plenty of stuff out there, which is great. There's a link to the podcast in the show notes below. (laughs) Excellent. And g'day, g'day all, you are on Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM. You're listening to Behind the Lines and you're with Scotty. So we do a radio show every week. That's been going for 
30 years, I think, and I took it over about 17 years ago. The idea of the radio show is we talk to anybody who's trying to make the world a better place. So that leaves it open basically as a, a personal study <laughs> experience every week. So mm. I keep my eye out constantly for someone who's doing something really cool and then mm. I'll ring them up or email them and say, hey, would you like to come on the radio? And if they say yes, then that's cool. And the Wednesday before the Friday show, I have to do a whole lot of study. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm going to sound like an idiot. So you, you do that and write down a whole lot of talking points and just have a conversation on air. So yeah. It's great. You can learn an enormous amount of stuff when you've got a deadline. <laughs> and so I'm guessing that's not just about the economy, that's about all different ways of living. Yeah, that's right. Anybody who's trying to make the world a better place, they don't have to actually be doing it. Just trying's enough. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a totally open, open thing. It's a very eclectic show. Hello. Hey, Scotty, how you doing? Good yourself? Yeah, good, thanks. I'm glad that I caught you. Yeah, yeah, it worked out well. Um, so this radio show, how long does the show go for? What's a whole show? Uh, about 85 minutes. Yeah, I can give it a go. I think I, I don't know if I have enough content for 80 minutes. Oh, I bet you do. I can feel my heart rate rising, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> nah, look, we're, we're very friendly. We're, uh, it's just a conversation. I'll, uh, I'll do lots of long, suspenseful pauses so that I sound like I'm thinking, but I'm no, taking up time. Seriously, you won't need to. We won't get through it all. Okay. <laughs> we never do. Do you get nervous on air? Oh, only if I make numerous mistakes. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> I feel much more confident. <laughs> <laughs> if you can make mistakes, I can make mistakes, and it's live oh, radio, mate, so we can't we fix are that. So good at disguising mistakes. Okay. <laughs> Well, if I get stuck for something to say, I'll just pretend there's a tech issue. I'll just start making crackling noises and be like, ah, sorry, tech issues. <laughs> Classic, yep. That'd be good. Or, you know, if, if you're really feeling like you want a break, we'll just play a song. That's really handy, actually. So if I embarrass myself or say something ridiculous, do we have time to edit it out before it goes online? We do it all the time. That's the thrill of it, I guess. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. If you notice that you're stuffed up, you can just correct yourself. Everybody's happy. If you don't, you just, you know, well, whatever. A diverse alternative to mainstream radio with an emphasis on our local community. 2XXFM is a volunteer-based, not-for-profit community organisation. Find out how you can support your community station by volunteering on the air or behind the scenes. Visit 2XXFM.org.au. This is your song? Yep. Oh, cool. I guess that means we're on. Pretty much. Well, here we are on Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM. You're listening to Behind the Lines. Today we have Kai Noonan, who is a, a fellow broadcaster, a podcaster, who has done a trip around Australia looking at what brings meaning and connection into people's lives. So, uh, welcome Kai. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I can't say I've ever called myself a podcaster before. I think more accurately, I am somebody who randomly and potentially unexplainably just decided to quit my very good job and 
buy a camper van, spend all my savings traveling around Australia, making a podcast, which I had never done before. Uh, I never even, I didn't even own a microphone. And so I think calling me a podcaster might be a stretch, but it's very flattering. And so for now, I'll take it. <laughs> That's a classic. So how? And as a final thing, because we've run out of time. Oh. I didn't get to ask you questions. <laughs> <laughs> we can do that over lunch if you want. <laughs> okay. And what did you find the most challenging thing about creating a podcast when you oh. <laughs> from scratch? <laughs> oh, I definitely learnt a lot, like the actual tangible skills around how to not only, you know, how to hit record or remember to hit record, to how to have conversations with people. I learned that I say awesome and cool a lot and it's really painful <laughs> and I'm trying to stop that. Uh, oh, yeah. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, what I'm learning and what the part that I find really exciting, again, like I record people for four, five, six, eight hours and how to consolidate that into a story that people are going to want to hear. It's easy, it's people-powered. 2XX, supporting our community. So you've been doing this for 18 years. What drives you to keep coming back every Friday morning? You can go a lot of places and learn a lot of things by having a great conversation with really interesting people, just again and again and again, and it's a bit addictive. Well, you do it well. You, you're very natural. You're very chill about it. Well, I mean, I think that comes with practice, yeah, yeah. 18 years' worth of practice. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a bit different in the beginning, I think. <laughs> and do you think that your radio show is making the world a better place? I hope so, yeah, yeah. We do have plenty of listeners around the world. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Um, the mainstream media concentrates on bloodbaths and fear and horrors with a cute puppy at the end. Um, and... That's not what we need. That's not what most of humanity is, in my belief. We need to look at the goods that are going on, and they are so huge. Here we are in a city, Canberra, 450,000 people. We will never run out of really cool things that people are doing all around the place. It's, it's just amazing, yeah. And honestly, is it also so you can play your music just a little bit on air? Oh, we do like our music, yeah. I mean, it's an endless exploration of music to try and find compatible songs with the themes that we have. And Formidable Vegetable Sound System, I've got to say, airs very regularly because they're one of the few songs that's got cranking songs and uh, actual meaning behind the songs. In a society of anxiety, confusion and greed, this really may be one solution we need. It is amazing. Like, you've been doing it for 18 years. You might have had regular listeners for 18 years. So in a way, you're forming relationships with those people who get to know you, your voice, what makes you laugh, what interests you, and they might have been following you for 18 years. Does that, wow. does that strike true or does that, is that something you think about? But yeah, wow. I can think of maybe one or two people who potentially have been doing that, but probably off and on over the years. That's an interesting thought. That's a, a nice little mind blower, isn't it? Tell them you're dreaming. We need more dreamers like you. Tell them you're dreaming, because dreams lead to things that you do. Make a whole load of dreams come true. So I'm on a search for what can bring me meaning and connection. So you heard me on radio with Scotty. How do you think I went on radio? You sounded like you, which is brilliant. I mean, well, how did it feel to you? Uh, in a way, it was actually quite easy because I get really nervous when I feel like I have an audience. And in that room, it was just me and Scotty. And so... 
I wasn't nervous. I was just having a chat and there was a few times I was like, oh, wait a minute, I'm on air. Um, I think talkback radio might be different if people were calling in and I was suddenly aware of their existence. But, yeah, it was just a chat. It was really comfortable. So, I, I, yeah, I found it really easy. I think there's a real place for community radio and I love that community radio exists and I love the variety that you get on community radio. After Scotty's show we were kicked out by two women coming in who were doing a psychic medium show. And I'm like, it's great. So one minute you can listen to Scotty's show is about people who are trying to make the world a better place. And then you got psychic mediums after. So I'm like, go community radio. Since becoming a parent um, now of an 18 month old and having another one on the way, I have put the radio on a lot more because obviously you don't want to put screens on all the time. So having, it helps the parent not feel alone or like there's another adult in the room sometimes. And you're right, I definitely have caught things where I've been like, hmm, that's really interesting. So are you thinking of, you know, knocking on the door of community radio? I'm too shy for that. If they knocked on my door and said, <laughs> here you go, here's a show, I'd take it. But, uh, yeah, putting yourself out there is probably not what I'm great at. And so maybe in this way I haven't yet found what it is that I'm looking for. Unless part of the challenge for me in finding meaning and connection is about being vulnerable and putting myself out there and... Maybe that's part of what I need to learn on this journey, how to do that. Maybe for season two. Or season five. <laughs> I'm good at getting bad time and right. I'm good at getting bad time and right. If you didn't have Coke Amber, if you weren't doing this right now, what do you think your life would be like or what else do you think you'd be doing if you didn't have this? I'd just be going to work every day, coming home tired, watching TV getting up the next morning and doing it again. Go camping on the weekend or something. Yeah, nice life. Or I could be out in the bush, living like a feral hippie in the background, neither of which are sort of changing anything. The podcast for me, which I've explained, is really about this search for meaning and connection and what brings people meaning and or connection. And actually, initially, I was just going for connection, but I found connection really hard to explain and describe. So I kind of decided it's about finding meaning and connection. How would you describe what meaning and connection is for you? Well, connection's a funny one, isn't it? I think we've got too much connection at the moment. If there's a war in Syria, our prices go up. Oh, the war in Ukraine, things, things are too connected globally at the moment. And it's working away from resilience because of that. Resilience needs to be quite connected, but not too connected. And yeah, the global economy at the moment is way too connected. It's interesting because for me, I think I think of disconnection when I think of that. You know, it's some foreign country, it's some foreign person I've never met that makes decisions. I am so disconnected from what the petrol price is because it's going to change at the whim any day now. And so for me, I think of the global scale and the way we live as being so disconnected because I don't have choice and I don't look the person in the eye who's making the decisions for my life. And to me, that's that's disconnection as well. Yeah, that's a great little insight. And I guess that comes back to scale. It's gone way out of scale. Um, 150 people, you get to know everybody. You can make your assessment through their behaviour of whether or not you should trust them and how much. Um, you know, you're not going to like everybody, but you figure out who you want to trust and who you can't because you watch them and <laughs> observe their behaviour. Now, you get to even a, a small town scale, you might be able to do that there because everyone's living together. But once you get to a city scale, you can't do that. And that's where that disconnection starts. I've had such little control over anything like the economy that I probably also deliberately disconnect because 
yeah, you feel powerless to the kind of world that runs around you. Yeah, and that's because you are powerless. You're entirely dependent for your life on stuff that's just totally disconnected from you. You said recently that you have a lot of feelings about changing the system. Can you explain what you meant by that? Probably similar to what Scotty said in that feeling like, and I'm sure so many people feel like this, that you're just bombarded. I mean, everyone says this. We're just bombarded with information. It's so hard. It's so hard to feel like you have any um, power or autonomy or ability to make changes around big profitability. I bet so many people feel the same way, but it's so hard when you see the 99% versus the 1% kind of stuff around. And to any rational person, no matter if you're not an expert in like trickle-down economics or you're not an expert in like financial markets, you can intrinsically get that that is not fair and that is not right. And we all pay taxes because we want to share the cost of things like roads, health, education, very much healthcare. And so it just it just feels like something really unfair is happening and we've all known it for a really long time. There was a few days in a row, maybe only just a week ago, where I, I just had this constant rant in my head where I'm like, why do people who play golf, right? There are some golfers that get paid millions of dollars a year mm-hmm. and then you've got nurses that are capped at like 70K and it's like somebody who literally keeps people alive and cleans up their shit all day is earning 70000 and someone who wears daggy clothes and hits a ball really slowly is getting millions and I was like what is wrong like it's like the whole system needs a complete shake-up a complete overhaul it's so true but obviously devil's advocate like a, a market capitalist would say well the like capitalism is democracy and the people have voted yeah. that the golfing person deserves more money than the nurse but it's actually not true democracy so if you could change one thing in the system or if you created your own co-op what would it be we need to find a way to make democracy work again because it's not just capitalism that it's not working. The only people that police capitalism is politics, like legislation and regulation. So I feel like if we can get to that, that might be a way to change the system. I don't have the time or energy these days to to do anything big like Scotty, really, to be honest. And sometimes I am not a hippie and I buy a really capitalist big product or something like that, or I'm just too tired to do something. But I always go back to, I do what I can when I can, and I think that's all anyone can do. And doing what you can when you can, does that bring you any sort of meaning or connection? I think it has to, (laughs) because you can as you just said, get really overwhelmed with trying to understand what's possible. How how could someone even start a co-op? It, it baffles me too because I'm so awe-inspired that people not only have the drive but actually have the skilled knowledge to do it as well. And so I think that doing what you can when you can, it's all I would expect of anyone else in this society to do. And so I think it definitely brings me meaning when I buy Sibylla a used toy or I don't buy her any toys at all and I say to everyone at Christmas, I told my mum to buy Sibylla a toothbrush. That's what my daughter got from her grandparents this Christmas. I was like, she does not need anything else. And it does make me feel like I'm demonstrating to the next generation how to make those small decisions and not feel so overwhelmed with, oh my God, I have to join a political party or I have to create a co-op to feel like I'm making change in this world or, or indicating to the market or other people that I want things to change and I want things to be fairer. I want things to be more environmentally sustainable. So 
Yeah, you're right. I guess it really actually really does bring me a lot of meaning, probably. Yeah, maybe more than I thought. Thank you for helping debrief around this. And I found it really thoughtful and interesting to start to think about, you know, co-ops in general and changing systems in general. And I love the way you light up when you talk about change. Uh, That is really exciting for me. I have a lot more appreciation for anybody trying to change systems. And also, co-ops sound cool. A cool co-op. Like, I'm so glad that these co-ops exist and I want people like Scotty to make a change and to make a difference. And that's so selfish and it feels almost lazy to be like, yes, go forth and conquer. (laughs) Am I going to join a co-op anytime soon? Probably not. I theoretically would, but realistically would I? Probably not. Would I go on radio? I have to say, I had a lot of fun on radio. I probably would. And also partially just so I could choose my own songs. I think you need to do shower thoughts and love song dedications. That is the radio show. You need to take over from Richard Mercer, 1000%. This podcast was created by me, Kai Noonan. All of the music in this episode is from Formidable Vegetable. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. Audio production by Harry Hughes. Script editing and advising by Adam Hughes. Check us out on Instagram. Just search Towards Connection.